This is our missionary conference, as we've been talking about for a few weeks. And the, um, the emphasis is not so much on the mission, even though that's what we're going to be accenting and talking about here and there. The accent is on us understanding and knowing our missionaries and letting them understand and know, know us. Uh, we're kicking off this morning with our good friend across the state, um, Marty Zide. Uh, most of you know Marty. He's been in and around Mission Road since the mid-80s. 85, I think is what you said, correct? Uh, yes. You're going to give us a little bit of history of that. In fact, your office was right there. Uh, much smaller, but your office was right there at one time. Uh, born and raised in St. Louis in a Reformed Jewish home. And um, the Lord radically and miraculously, his, his wet, on his website is his testimony. You should read that. Uh, saved him and uh, showed him the true and living Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Went to Brooks College, uh, graduated from Calvary University just down the road here. Has been mission, a missionary and doing missionary work for, listen to this, 35 years. That should be enough to cause us to pause and say, thank you, God, for such a one who's given emphasis to this. I think uh, uh, in talking to Marty, watching his ministry from afar, uh, his primary ministry is evangelism. The specific ministry, though, inside of that is focusing on introducing Jews and uh, the, the apple of God's eye to the gospel. And um, if you read Romans, and we spent a few years in Romans studying Romans, you can see that all throughout the book of Romans, the emphasis is on Jewish evangelism. Uh, it's primarily to the Jew first and then also to the rest of the world. Paul says in chapter 10, you know, I, I would, he actually says, I want my Jewish brethren to be saved so much, I am willing to cash in my own salvation for that. That's how much his heart beat for uh, the Jewish people. And I love your heart uh, for um, God's chosen and for his, uh, his love for the St. Louis area. Thanks for being faithful. Uh, what Marty's gonna do this morning is tell you a little bit about his ministry, but I also ask him to tell you a little bit about his, his um, history here at Mission Road, which some of you uh, may not uh, be aware of. So Marty, why don't you come up? I want you to see something before I, before I uh, do anything else. How many of you, this is important that you know, how many of you have been at Mission Road Bible Church 10 years or less? Raise your hand. That kind of tells you what you need to know. How many of you have been here 15 years or more? How many of you know Marty and have heard Marty before? The same hands are up. And they're here. So, and, they're, <laughs> and they're here. So Marty, thank you for your faithfulness. We love you. Thanks for being back and uh, look forward to hearing what the thank Lord's Thank you doing. very Let's, much. Let's uh, welcome Marty, please. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, wherever I speak, I always let people know how appreciative I am and how much I consider it a privilege. But this is a privilege with all capital letters. I, I am so thankful to be here and to see what the Lord is doing. The last time I was here, um, and I can remember it so vividly because I was injured and in such pain. It was actually the week before the Hollands were going to arrive. And I had, uh, you know, I did foolish things. I lifted heavy cases of books, and I lifted one, and I thought, oh, that doesn't feel right. 
And within a half hour, I, I just couldn't move. I pinched a nerve in my neck, and long story. And I was scheduled to speak here on the Sunday, and I, I couldn't drive. So I contacted one of my friends from our Bible study, and he was willing to drive me here. And, and I, I said to the people, I says, I can't, I can't stand behind a pulpit. I have to sit down. So they got me a little card table, and I sat there, and I preached. And I says, this is painful, and, but it's much better than standing. But if you really want to know the truth, I'd feel much more comfortable just laying flat right up here <laughs> and preaching. And, and I got through it, and uh, we were staying with Jonathan and Shima, and we went out for a nice lunch, and we're driving home, and I said to my friend, I don't think I'm going to make it the rest of the way. I was in such pain, but the Lord got me through, and I didn't know if my ministry was finished at that time, because I wouldn't be able to travel. I, was, I didn't know if it was going to get better, but the Lord was gracious, and so it's great to be back. Great to be back and to be a part of this uh, Missionary Missions Conference. And I, I just want to share with you some of the things that the Lord is doing through the Midwest Messianic Center. We're in our 95th year. I, I just, for your information, I didn't start the ministry. <laughs> but um, by the grace of God, that's a long time. And I say this to the glory of God. We're the oldest Jewish mission west of the Mississippi that is still ministering. I know of one mission agency that is older than the Midwest Messianic Center, and that's the chosen people who were the American Board of Missions to the Jews that started back in the 1800s. Now, there have been older missions than us, but they're no longer functioning. But for the grace, by the grace of God and for his glory, he keeps us going. We're a small ministry, but we're in St. Louis, and none of these other ministries are in there, so we have a, a rich field of people that we are able to minister to. But just getting back a, a, a little bit before I get into that, we had uh, uh, done our education, part of it in St. Louis, and was working with the Midwest Messianic Center with the previous director who really discipled me. They didn't call it discipleship back then, but he really took me under his wings and, and helped me so much. And, and then we wanted to get a little bit more education, so we came to Kansas City, went to Calvary. I only had to go there for a year because I had more credits going in than you needed to even finish. And we didn't know what we were going to do. We just assumed we were going to go back to St. Louis. But the Lord opened up an opportunity at another local church not too far from here. Stayed there for about five years, enjoyed it. And then uh, the Lord closed the door there and opened it here. That was in 1985. Uh, they wanted me to come on to try to uh, assist in starting a system of home Bible studies. We called them community fellowships. And that was my major ministry, training the teachers. We actually had Tom Lovejoy come in from Grace Church to train us. Wonderful opportunity. He really helped us a tremendous amount. And um, we had those going, and then the senior pastor decided to take another ministry. And so I had the privilege of preaching every Sunday. And I just can't even tell you what a blessing that was. And um, then the Lord called us back to St. Louis in, in 1988 and have been there ever since. Just celebrated my 30th year, June 1st, as, as the director. And again, that's to the glory of God. And people say, well, what do you do? What do you do? Well, the Midwest Messianic Center, I, I view it as being three-pronged. 
heavy-duty evangelism, heavy-duty discipleship, and thirdly, educating the churches. I have the privilege of traveling around the country, speaking in all kinds of different churches, and my primary purpose is to try to educate people of, of what the scriptures say about God's plan and program for Israel. Um, we have many, many battles that we face. One of them is to trying to get a Jewish person to even listen to us and talk to us, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Jewish people are less interested in hearing the claims of Jesus as the Messiah than we would hearing the claims of how great Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism is. We have no interest in that. Jewish people have even less interest in hearing about Jesus. And it doesn't matter what background you're from. I was born in a very, very non-religious Jewish home, a Reformed Jewish home. They would be like the Sadducees of the New Testament. We don't believe in anything. Sadducees didn't believe in the spirit world. They didn't believe in afterlife. That's your typical Reformed Jewish person. You're Jewish by tradition, not by what you know. I was 110% biblically illiterate. I went to temple two days a year, not Easter and Christmas, right? <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. You say, what days did you go? Well, we went on uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. You say, well, if you were so non-religious, why did you even go those two days? You get out of school. That's it. <laughs> you go to temple for a half an hour or an hour and uh, leave early, and you got the rest of the day off. We only did two things on the Jewish calendar. One was celebrate Passover. And the reason why we did that was because my mom loved to have the whole family over. You always have your relatives over, and you, you, my mom would just fix the whole traditional Passover feast. We'd go through the Haggadah. It would normally take maybe 45 minutes. We'd get finished with maybe seven or eight minutes of it, and we're done. We didn't even know what we were doing. We had no idea what it meant. We didn't know the story back in Exodus. It, it was just a tradition. And then every year, my mom and dad would ask, I had two older brothers, you guys want to celebrate Hanukkah this year? Well, of course. You get eight gifts. For eight days, you get another gift. Who's not going to want to celebrate Hanukkah? We didn't know what it meant. That was the extent of my being brought up Jewish. But when my two closest friends got saved, they were out in California. I was in the army. I was scheduled to get out last day of August. It was already prearranged that when I get out and they come back from California, we're going to move to Columbia, Missouri, live together, and go to school. So I found myself living with two brand-new baby believers, one from a Jewish background, one from a Gentile background. And they got to me before they took their course on how to witness with tact. They had no tact. <laughs> They killed me. I, I mean, every time I walked in the house, there they were. And their basic gospel message to me was, Marty, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to die and burn up in hell. And I says, wait a minute. I'm a nice guy. I'm not a bad person. And by the way, that's the theme song of Jewish people. Remember what it says in Romans, where it says they have this righteousness, but it's, it's, it's a self made righteousness, and, and they ignore the righteousness which comes from Christ. He is the end of the law for righteousness. 
Jewish people tend to be decent people, but they don't, they don't believe in, the origi- in, in original sin. They, they don't believe in the idea of the fall of Adam having any effect upon them. So when we encounter our Jewish friends, one of the first things that we need to do is to get them lost, really lost. We need, them, we, we need to help them understand their sinful condition. You know, they might admit that they do things wrong, but they don't understand the consequences. I knew I was a sinner. My friends were encountering, this was the year 1971, crazy days back then. And, you know, I I knew that I had sinned, but I never understood the consequences of sin. My one friend, the one from the Gentile background, went to the Mizzou bookstore and bought me a Bible. Now, I wonder if you could do that today. Excuse me, do you sell Bibles here in your bookstore? They did back then. He, he buys me, and it was just, just text. There really weren't a lot of study Bibles back then. King James Version. Hands me the Bible, and literally, when I took it from his hand, that was the first time I ever held a Bible in my hand. And I took it, and I put it in the top of my closet saying, man, oh man, there's a whole bunch of other things I wish you would have bought me. But here's what happened over the months, and I'm seeing them every day, every day, every day. I began to observe some very minute changes that were taking place in their life. And I kept asking them, what are you, how come you're not doing this anymore? Why are you doing that? And they kept telling me, it's, it's because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Now, I was in the Army Reserves, which meant I used to have to go from Columbia, Missouri, back to St. Louis once a month. And every time I would drive into the driveway, walk into the house, my mom would say to me, you better never come back here and tell me you're a believer in Jesus like Mark and Jim. And I said, don't worry about that. This is a bandwagon. They're going to give that up. They'll find themselves doing something else. Well, I, as a result of these observations that I was making, I became a little bit interested in what it was that was changing their lives. And I said to one of my friends, if somebody wanted to read the Bible... Not me, of course. If somebody wanted to read the Bible, where should they begin? And they said the New Testament. And they kept telling me how interesting the Bible was. And I didn't know where the New Testament was. I found it. And I started reading Matthew 1, King James. I hit the genealogy. I couldn't pronounce the names. I didn't even know what the word begat meant. And then, (laughs) this is interesting, really interesting. But then I broke through that, and I began reading about Jesus. And honestly, I'm just telling you, I wasn't prepared for that. I can't go into all of the details. It would take the whole time. But there were things that I read that I dreamt about as a kid. If I could only do that, if somebody could only do that. And Jesus is doing it. I started reading the Bible like crazy. And then I came down with this intense fear. And let me tell you, fear is the number one stumbling block that Jewish people will encounter when they seriously begin thinking about the possibility of Jesus being the Messiah. What did you fear? I feared my mom and dad. Because I knew if I went home and told my mom and dad that I had become a believer in Jesus, I had a strong idea of how they were going to respond. Look with me at John 19, please. John 19. And and here we have the familiar story. 
John 19 and verse 38. And we have this familiar story of Joseph of Arimathea. It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, and he came, therefore, and, and took away the body. So here, Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple because he feared the Jewish community. And I, and I see, I believe what is happening here is, is Joseph is taking his light out from under the bushel. And he's making a very strong identification statement with Jesus as the Messiah. He's going to give him his own tomb. But he feared the Jewish people. And look who was with him. Verse 39, Nicodemus came also, who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes that you would use a wheelbarrow to transport. He's coming out. Here are two people who fear the Jewish community, they're both very prominent within the Jewish community, and, and now they're making a very strong identification statement. Fear is one of the things that we run into all the time, especially if they begin really thinking about that possibility. In John chapter 9, you have the man who was born blind, and Jesus heals this man who was born blind. This sent shivers up the spines of the Pharisees because they believed that the only person who could heal somebody who was born blind would be the Messiah. People could be healed if they were born with eyesight and then somehow they lost their eyesight, but somebody born blind, that's reserved for the Messiah. So here's a guy who has this testimony now, I was born blind and now I see, so they, they call him in. Pharisees have to do one thing, disprove his testimony. How'd this happen? He didn't have all the answers. So they called his mom and dad in, if you could imagine. And they begin interrogating his mom and dad. Is this your son who was born blind? Verse 20. How does he now see? Verse 19. Verse 20. His parents answered and said to them, we know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age. He'll speak for himself. Now, why did his parents say that? Verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be the Messiah, what would happen to them? Be put out of the synagogue. And let me tell you, that's just as true today as it was back then. Jewish people are not welcome in a temple or a synagogue. We're not welcome. There's a thing over in Israel called the law of return, and anybody who's Jewish could go there. They made some modifications years back. If you are a Messianic Jewish person, you're not welcome back. They don't, Jewish people don't like Jesus. They don't like the idea of him being the Messiah. They can't stand it. So then let me ask you a question. Where do we, I'm asking myself, I mean, you are asking me a question right now. Where do you find Jewish people to talk to? Where do you find Jewish people who will even listen? Well, we've tried door-to-door -door evangelism. It doesn't work. Uh, we live in West, you know, the, the mission is headquartered in West County, St. Louis. It's very similar to Prairie Village, Overland Park, Leewood, Lenexa, 
Uh, you go knocking on doors. They look through the hole. Uh, what do you want? Hmm. Well, I want to show you some Tupperware just to get in the door. That's not going to work. <laughs> well, I want to talk to you about the claims of Jesus being the Messiah. I'm not interested. You don't even see their face, and they've already turned you away. Where do you find people to talk to? And this is where I'm going to ask for your help. Turn to Colossians 4, please. We exist as a ministry because of people praying for us. That's one of the reasons why I believe that we have been around for so long. The Apostle Paul had already prayed for the Colossian believers in chapter 1, and he was very specific, as he was in all of his prayers for the churches, as to what he prayed for. Now he's turning a table and he's asking the Colossian church to pray for him. Sometimes we view the Apostle Paul like a tank, you know, going down the street. Nothing's going to harm him. He's impenetrable. What kind of help and assistance does he need? But if you read the Apostle Paul, he would tell you differently that he was a person who had deep needs, just like we all do. In Colossians 4, verse 2, and here, here's our key. We do this, I, I pray this daily at every staff meeting we have. We pray this. I would ask you as a church to pray for us, pray this for us, pray it for yourselves as well. Here's how we get our contacts. People who are wanting to hear, people who are wanting to, to, to see, is Jesus the Messiah? Paul says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with it in an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God may open up to us a door for the word that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. You know where Paul was when he wrote this? He was in prison. Now, honestly, if I was in prison, I'd be praying for open doors too. But those were not the open doors that he was praying for. He was praying for open doors to have the opportunity to speak forth the mystery of Christ. So we pray, and we've done this for years and years and years, multiple years. Lord, please open doors for us. Open doors for us that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. If you don't use the person and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in your evangelism, call, you what, call it what you want, it's not evangelism. You can't evangelize without bringing up the person of the Lord Jesus. Well, that's the most offensive thing to a Jewish person. Why do you bring it up? We have to. People sometimes ask me, I have a Jewish acquaintance. Could you give me some tips and techniques on how to witness to my Jewish friend without offending them? And honestly, I don't know that. I don't know how to do that. It's a, they're, they're always offended because they're offended at the person who provides the necessary need for salvation. We need to speak forth the mystery of Christ. Paul was even imprisoned because of his testimony for Christ. And pray that we would make it clear in the way we ought to speak. If you choose to pray this, and I hope you will, I hope 
you will seriously take this challenge? If you're going to do this and you're going to pray that God would open doors and really mean it, could I ask you a question? What do you think God is going to begin doing? He's going to begin opening doors. I can't, I, I literally, I, I just can give example, example, example. We don't even know how it happens, but it happens. By the grace of God, we are, there's always people for us to talk to. We get a call from L.A. I got a Jewish friend in St. Louis. He was my best friend in high school. Will you call them up and see if they would let you come over and, and talk to them about the claims of Jesus being the Messiah? And my, my response to this gentleman was, I, I, I'm not going to call him. Uh, what? You're not going to call him? Why not? You have him call me. I have a record. I keep a record. When I call them, I have a perfect record of zero. When I call them, it never generates into a time where we sit down with an open Bible and begin talking about the claims of Jesus being the Messiah. And then I have another record. When they call me, it's 100%. When they call me, it always generates into a conversation. So you have your friend call me, and I promise you, I, will meet, I want to meet with them. I pray that I'll be able to meet with people like your friend, but they have to call me because if I, I've done it too many times. If I call them, it never, never materializes. This one lady said, calls me, I just got out from my son's pediatrician. He's Jewish, and he can't wait to talk to you. Give him a call. No, have him call me. No, he said, you have him call me. I says, have him call me. She refused. I call him up. Hello, this is Dr. So-and-so. This is, this is Marty. So-and-so told me to call you, and I only gave her first name because that's all she gave me. She goes, what's her last name? I says, I don't know. I only have her first name. He goes, I'm way too busy for this and hangs up on me. So I called her up. I says, hey, guess what? It didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? He said he's waiting for you. I called him. He said he's too busy. She calls him back. Call him back again. He wants to talk to you. He wants to. I, I, I called three times. Three strikes. I told her, I'm done. I will talk to him anytime he calls me. He's never called me. Just have him call this way. She refused. So we have wonderful testimonies. And here's the first thing we say. Here's the first thing we hear. I sit down with this wonderful, sometimes it's a couple, maybe uh, one, one is from a Jewish background, one is from a non-Jewish background. Some of them are, one is saved, usually it's a, the Gentile woman who's married to a Jewish person. She's saved, he's not. Uh, are, they're both unsaved, all kinds of different scenarios. The first thing I hear from almost all of the Jewish people is this. Marty, I feel so bad. I'm, I'm wasting your time. I'll never become a believer in Jesus. And I that, that's okay. I, 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 I at one time thought, thought the same thing. And um, she goes, I, I said, why, why do you say that so, so with, with such a firm mindset? Well, um, if I understand you correctly, you've got to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. 
She goes, both of my parents are, are, are dead. And they never believed in Jesus, so based upon this, they're not in heaven. Now, that's tough. They've, they've thought through a few things. They've connected a few dots. So, where, where are my mom and dad right now? I said, well, number one, I'm not going to confine anybody to hell. Because how do you know that maybe they didn't hear the gospel and God was gracious to them as he was the thief on the cross and shortly before they passed away, they came to know the Lord, but I don't believe that happens too often. So the very first time that happened, it was an elderly Jewish lady who said to me, my mom and dad are dead and I don't want to believe they're in hell. So I went through that spiel that I just told you, and I says, well, let, let, me, let me say something to you, but I really, I said, look, I'm going to say something to you, and it's probably one of the worst things maybe anybody has ever said to you, but I want to try to make a point. I said, let's, let's assume that your mom and dad are in hell right now. Can I, can I tell you what they're wishing for and thinking right now? This is an elderly lady. I thought she was going to hurdle the table and come over and start choking me. <laughs> she said, how in the world would you know what my mom and dad would be thinking if they're in hell? Now, where did I take them? Luke 16. I said, if your mom and dad could talk to you right now, here's what they would say. And I used her name, and I'm looking right at her. I said, here's what they would say to you. Believe what you're hearing. Believe what he's telling you about Jesus. Wasn't that the concern of the rich man? I got five brothers. Please send somebody to warn them so they don't come to this place of torment. I says, look, you cannot change the eternal destiny of your mom and dad. But they don't want you to experience the same if they are in hell and ultimately in the lake of fire. Well, I can't explain it. I've done that three times. Three times, three different Jewish people said the same thing, almost verbatim, and they didn't know each other, and I've used that. And every time, it's, it's, I, I just think it's a, the Lord was being gracious to them, and they just settled down and began to listen. And I met with them week after week after week after week after week after week for hours, hours just meeting with them. She calls me up one day, Marty, I can't wait for you to come over because I just became a believer in Jesus and I can't wait to tell you. And that's by the grace of God. But it's, it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. Now, how does that kind of stuff happen? How did I meet them? I received a phone call. Just received a phone call. I got these, this couple, elderly Jewish a lady and her husband. Would you, would you call them up and set up a time? I said, no, have them call me. She's the one who called me. Well, how does that happen? By speaking to them the mystery of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's what Paul prays for. Pray that God would open up a door that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. And we try to make it clear. We try to be, a, Jewish people are so biblically illiterate, you just have to be patient with them. I'm, I've been meeting with a gentleman. We're in our sixth year. You say, is this guy dense? No, he's a, he's a genius. 
I can't give you a lot of details. If you read my newsletter, by the way, anybody ever here receive my newsletter? Probably a lot of you don't because you're new. When we have our table up, you'll be able to sign up for a free newsletter. We beg you, please receive it because it gives you people to pray for. I use initials because I, 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 don't, I don't want them to, we send out thousands of them every month. We don't want somebody to say, wait a minute, he's, he's praying for me. He's writing about me. We don't want people to do that. I don't have time to give you the long story as to how we met, but we've been meeting for, it, 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 we're going to be getting, getting on six years pretty soon. This guy knows as much of the New Testament, I'm just telling you, he knows as much of the New Testament as many of you do. He's from a Jewish background, a very strong religious Jewish background. He works for the Jewish Federation in St. Louis. Here's a man, if he comes to know the Lord, that might mean his job. So we meet, we meet, we meet, we meet, we meet. <laughs> Probably every six weeks we go to this little Thai restaurant and I pray that we're way back in a corner where we could talk. The last time we met, it was kind of interesting. We sit down and then all of a sudden three people come in and sit right next to us and he knows all three people. That's the worst thing that could happen because now I'm going to probably not be able to talk with him as freely because Jewish people don't want other Jewish people to know that they're even interested in the claims of Jesus being the Messiah. So here's what he says. They place us at a table where the sun is just beaming in his eyes. He goes, we have to move. We can't sit at this table. And I says, good, let's move. So they moved us. Now, but and I get my time mixed up, but maybe two, three years ago, we're meeting, and he all of a sudden is becoming very, very fidgety. I mean, he's just looking at me, and he's body language all over the place, and he stops me. And we're, we're friends. We are really friends by this time. He goes, Marty, he goes, I, I don't know how to tell you this, and I never even thought I would ever have to tell you this, but you were telling me some of the most ridiculous, foolish things I have ever heard coming out of your mouth. And he's going on and on, and I'm sitting there thinking, he's getting it. He's finally getting it. <laughs> you know that verse in 1 Corinthians 2.14, they're foolishness to him. And here's the thing. The things I was telling him, I've told him 20 times before. He just wasn't able to hear them. The Lord opened him up a little bit like he did Lydia. And I'm saying, keep on, Lord, because he connected some dots. Pray for D. Pray for D, if you think about him. So we, we depend upon prayer. We pray all the time. Every week when we have our staff meeting, for myself and for Andy up in Detroit, and, and our secretary, who has a wonderful ministry uh, in St. Louis as well, that God would open up doors for us. And if you do the same, be prepared. Ask God to help you. Get to know the gospel inside and out. And I have people that tell me, oh, I wish I could get to know the Bible. Oh, you know, I wish I could know the Bible like my pastor, like you missionaries, and I can't get to know the Bible. I just can't get to know the Bible. So I'll say, can I ask you a question? Do you have a hobby? And they'll tell me what their hobby is. I'll just pull one out of thin air. I'm not thinking of anybody here. Uh, World War II battleships. 
And I'll say, really? You like, World War, you like World War II battleships? Can you tell me a little bit about World War II battleships? And you know what they're doing for the next 20 minutes without taking a breath? Telling us about World War II battleships. And finally, I have to stop them. And I say, where did you, you get all that information from? Oh, I've read for years. It's my hobby. So you can't do the same thing with the Bible? that you just did with World War II battleships? Maybe it lies with the interest. Maybe, maybe the problem isn't that you can't. It's just that you're more interested in your, nothing wrong with hobbies. I have a hobby, I love to fish. And I study, I learn how to fish. I'll, and there's a reason why. Because I really like to go out there and catch fish. So you learn ways to do it. Anything, any, any hobby can fit that description. Well, make the Bible your hobby. Get to know it so well. Get to know the gospel so well. Sometimes you may have 20 seconds going up an elevator, a few floors, where you got 30 seconds to talk to this person. Or sometimes you have hours and hours and hours where the person is willing to sit right across from you and listen to anything you say. Pray that God would open doors. Well, let me, let me go back a little bit. So I'm in Columbia, Missouri. I had read through the New Testament after I got saved several times, very, very quickly. I, I just literally couldn't get enough of the Bible. I, I don't have a lot of time to go. I, I was not a good student. I didn't like school. Uh, I, I don't want to get into the details, but I hated school. And, and, and I never knew, I never read a book through until I got saved. Never even, I, I just couldn't stand school. I get saved, I'm reading scripture, and by the providence of God, somebody introduced me to the former director of the center. His name was Emil Elby. Graduated from Moody Bible Institute, came right to St. Louis, spent his entire ministry for 40 years, 1948 to 1988. His health failed him, and that's why I came and took over where he left off, and like I said, he just took me under his wings. And one day, I was, I was saved when I was 20 years old, almost getting ready to be 21. He says, well, what do you want to do with your life, Marty? I said, well, that's a good question. I knew I could sell because I was selling for my brother, for his company. I didn't want to do that. Not that there's anything wrong with selling. <laughs> good friend up here, salesman. Uh, but I didn't want to sell. So um, he says, well, what do you like? This is... It's my mentor, and I says, I like the Bible. I love the Bible. And he said, well, have you ever thought about the ministry? And I says, I don't really know what that is. And he explained the ministry. He was in the ministry. I said, that's what I want to do. And he says, well, then you need to get some education. And he goes, next week, we're going to take you down to Brooks. Uh, and many of you, I don't think any of you have heard of Brooks. Brooks was Bible Institute, now it's Bible College. James Hall Brooks discipled C.I. Schofield in St. Louis. He was one of the people who were traveling around the country in the early days, turn of the century, 1800s and 1900s, traveling the country, uh, teaching on Bible prophecy. The book, The Fundamentals, came out in the, I think it was the 20s or so, large part in, in, in having those things uh, printed and et cetera. Great history. So I told my mom and dad, I'm uh, going, going to Bible college, going to Bible Institute. 
they thought I was in a cult. Because when I mentioned I was going to school, they thought the only way you'd go to school is if somebody was forcing you. I said, no, this is something that I want to do. So here's the situation. I was in Columbia, Missouri, and I thought to myself, you know what? The Lord used my living with two believers to help me to come to know the Lord. I think I better move back home. So I stopped school in, in Columbia, Mizzou, moved back to St. Louis. My mom and dad didn't throw me out of the house. I mean, they were so non-religious. So here my mom and dad are living with a brand new baby believer. A lot of zeal, no knowledge. And, and I was inventing mistakes to make as a result of my zeal. I was just reading, reading the Bible, reading the New Testament several times, and I thought, maybe I should start at the front of the Bible. And I started reading Genesis, first time. Remember, I never held the Bible in my hands until my friend gave me one. I started reading Genesis. And I thought, wow, within 10 minutes, I discovered how we got here. And this is when we're doing all this space exploration, trying to discover how we got here. And I'm thinking, save all the money, folks. It's right here. This is how we got here. And that's how I approached the Bible. So I'm reading the Bible, and I'm reading about Abraham. I heard of Abraham, didn't know anything about him. And I'm reading, he, 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 he's told by God to kill his son. And I'm thinking, there's no way he's going to do that. What father's going to kill his son? I don't, know what's, I don't know what's happening. And it's like, I can't read fast enough. And he's getting ready and getting the donkey ready. And he's, he's about ready to do it. He's got the knife up. And the thing I took away from that was, wow, Abraham's a great man of faith. And I want my mom and dad to know that I got faith. Now, my mom and dad, they were lost. They didn't know anything. They didn't know. I went to temple two days a year. They went to temple zero days a year. They never went to temple. But they were wonderful. They, didn't, they did everything right, but they didn't, just, they didn't teach me anything about the Lord because they knew nothing about the Lord. So I called my mom and dad in, and I said, Mom and Dad, I, I love you. You have always been there for me. You're great parents, but if God ever asked me to offer you up and sacrifice you, I would. <laughs> my mom gave me a look. I've never forgotten it to this day. There's a Yiddish word called meshugana. He's gone meshugana. He's gone crazy. This spread throughout my family. I can never be alone with my nieces and nephews anymore. And I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? Yeah, I shared that story with an older believer, and that's when they said, you need to talk to Mr. Elby, and he was the director. That's how I met Mr. Elby, from that silly story. And my mom has, she never, they, they both have passed away, but she never forgot that. She would periodically remind me about what I said to her. And I says, well, that was a big mistake. But that was all in my zeal. Long story short, my mom did get saved. My dad came to Bible studies for three years. Every week, his health began to fail him. And then he says, Marty, would you ask Mr. Elby, could we move the Bible study to our home? He said, yeah. Now, if you would have ever asked me, would you all ever have a Bible study about Jesus in your home? I don't think, I, wouldn't have, I would not have thought that would have ever, 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 ever happened, but it did. So when Mr. Elby would say, turn to Habakkuk, he turned to Habakkuk, turned to Colossians, he turned to Colossians. He went to sleep one night and didn't wake up. 
So I just have to trust the Lord with that. I mean, he heard the Bible consistently, but my mom did get saved, and uh, I just praise the Lord for that. I, I just am amazed at the power of the Word of God. You know, we, we use that wonderful verse in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for this power of God and salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Did, did you notice what it says? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. We emphasize giving the gospel without compromise. We don't want, and I thank the Lord that in the entire existence from 1924 to, to current days, we have not budged on the gospel. That's our only hope uh, to penetrate any heart any mind that is dead, rock solid, totally opposed to the claims of Jesus being the Messiah. There's no other way a person's going to get saved unless they clearly hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit opens up their hearts and minds to enable them, like he did Lydia, to hear what is being said. That's why we need your prayers so desperately. I, I just... Uh, can't hardly believe the privilege that, that I have of doing what I love so much. And, um, and, and, and <laughs> it's, I, I turn around and years and years and years and years have gone by. So we would ask you to please continue to pray for us. I, um, when we left Kansas City, to go back to St. Louis. It was one of the hardest things I did. I mean, I, 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 knew that with the, I knew that, I believed that the Lord was calling us back home so we could take over where Mr. Elby trained me. I mean, he, he was my discipler for, for the critical early years. You know, I could have fallen in with all, any kind of group. I'm so thankful I fell into a person whose ruts were in the right path to help me to learn the scriptures and, and to have a high view of scripture and a high view of God. And uh, much of what I do, I learned from him. And that tradition has continued on for all these years. And we refuse to budge when it comes to the gospel. We just, there's no, there's no wiggle room there. And isn't it horrible what we see happening in the, quote, church world today when there's so much compromise, so much watering down, so much desire not to offend. I don't want to be offensive, but I know that people are going to get offended by the truth of the gospel. Don't let that hinder you from giving, people out, the, uh, giving out to people the pure gospel that, will, that has the power within it to save. That's why Paul said, pray for me. I want to bring forth the mystery of Christ, but I want to be clear. Be clear. I was at the doctor. This is a, well over a year ago. I went to several doctors, and they couldn't discover what it was. I went to this one specialist, and he's, he said, here's what you got. And he tells me in doctor talk. You, you, ever, you ever get the diagnosis in doctor talk? It's like, am I going to live or die? Just what's, what's the bottom line here? And I said, tell me what I have so I can understand it. 
And he did. Not, threat, not life-threatening. It's just situation. That's all. Don't talk to unsafe people with doctor talk, if you know what I'm saying. Be clear. Be clear. Remember, they don't have a foundation of 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 plus years of studying and hearing the Word of God. For most of them, it's brand new. Be clear. Pray that God will open doors and please continue to pray for us. You'll hear that a lot from all the missionaries. We need prayer. And we're not just saying it. We mean it. But thank you for the partnership that we have. The, the day I left with my family to go back to St. Louis, you had become a partner of ours. We've had a long, wonderful partnership. And I, and I praise the Lord for that. And I thank God. I can't tell you how much I praise the Lord for what he's doing currently at Mission Road Bible Church. I just praise the Lord. It's wonderful, wonderful to see. And I'm going to really enjoy my time here. Thank you, Rick and elders, and for making all of us a part. And I consider it an honor. Thank you. There's a word that, um, that we use that's usually a negative word, but it can be used positively, and that's the word contagious. You know, this is the time of year where we have flus and colds, and you get around someone and you end up sometimes inadvertently getting what they have because they are contagious. Well, there's a positive side of that too. Marty, you are such a contagious believer for the gospel. To hear you talk makes us excited. Uh, we'll talk later. My wife and I live in a, um, an Orthodox uh, Jewish community, um, and uh, you couldn't have described our situation anymore. They, we are um, radioactive to them, and uh, it's, it's just very difficult to get beyond even just the common courtesy of talking, um, but relationally, the Lord has, has had some breakthroughs. Um, I also wanna say, I'm sorry that we haven't had you back sooner. It's, you're just a few hours away and I'd love for you to come and help us. Uh, most of us, just turn around and look. How many of you have Jewish friends? I want, I want you to see, how many of you have Jewish friends? Do you, do you feel like that you would be profited by knowing more how to navigate those conversations? Uh, how do you get into it? How do you sustain it? Even the, the great insight about fear. I mean, that's the truth of everyone at some level, but Matthew 10, I was thinking about, Jesus said, unless you're willing to break fellowship with your father, mother, brother, and sister, and that's, he's talking to a Jewish audience there. The, the correlation's really, really um, intense. Great kickoff to our time in thinking about what the Lord's doing around the world and across the state, right? Uh, we, uh, I, Marty talked about praying. Let me just Full disclosure, tell you what we've been praying for for months with this conference. And that's that God would encourage the, the missionary friends that we have who we brought in, but that God would most of all change us, reorient our priorities and our thinking. And that was a great first reset button for us. Let me pray for you, Marty, because you asked us to. Colossians 4. It's not just praying for, it's praying for clarity. That's so specific that the gospel would be clear. And the gospel, I don't wanna re-say everything you said, needs to be framed in the worldview to the person that you're talking to. Not everyone has the same starting point. And relationally, getting into their, their, their mind a little bit to see where to start from, that's what Paul was saying. I wanna be clear in what I say. 
So let's pray for Marty.